Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. in whose kid actually ends up going into the lemonade stand business you've seen them before and maybe you've tried it one afternoon but there really are professional lemonade stands out there so logic would dictate that some kid somewhere ended up going into the lemonade stand business full-time He wanted to try it one hot summer afternoon, perhaps after seeing some of the other kids in the neighborhood doing it, or maybe he saw one set up at a baseball park and thought, yeah, you know, I could make a little on top of my allowance, you know, we could really, we could could get this business plan together, we could make this happen, and so he tries it out. Come on, you got to picture this with me. So he gets his dad, come on, have you ever done this, dads? Maybe you've made a little rickety lemonade stand for your son or for your daughter, a hand-painted sign that says, Lemonade, 50 cents. After one successful day, he tries it again, and he tries it again. And then he gets invited to bring his lemonade stand to a middle school baseball game. He ups his price to $2 a glass, and pretty soon, he's got more invitations that he knows what to do with, and he's taking his lemonade stand to all kinds of events now. He's getting really, really busy. You know how it goes. Come on, your lemonade stand did this, didn't it? No, yeah, no. He's getting really busy taking his lemonade stand all over town now, and so he's really starting to make a nice profit. But now things are getting a lot busier, a whole lot more professional, so to speak. It's taking up more time than he originally expected. He's now got to make special orders on lemons, and he has to keep track of all of his expenses on a spreadsheet. And what started as a little hobby has now become a full-time consuming commitment. And in that moment, he has to make a choice. Is this going to become a career that I choose to support my family with? Is he going to hire a few employees maybe to share the load? Or what, what will he choose? And some of you are thinking, geez, if it's that easy, I'm going to go set up a lemonade stand tomorrow and I'm going to make millions. And then some of you are saying, what is a spreadsheet? I kind of know how to work a spreadsheet. Yeah. I'd just rather... Just take all the money and just add it up on a calculator and write it down. Anybody operate like that or is that just me? Yeah, I'm not the only one. Whatever you're thinking, you understand the moment. There's a moment that this boy has to determine. He's got to make a decision. Is this a hobby or is this a career? Is this for fun or is this for something more? Am I trying this out or am I truly investing in this? Tonight, for just a few moments, hopefully you will 
open your hearts with me and, and take just for the next 30 minutes or so, and I know this sounds so cliche, but please look beyond. For the next few moments, let's, let's look at our relationship with Jesus. Let's look at where we stand with Jesus Christ. And I get the fact that for some of us, maybe tonight is kind of a, a first date with Jesus. Maybe you're here, maybe a friend has brought you for the first time, and you kind of really don't know what's that. Just sit there and uh, you don't have to participate. But if those of you have been kind of going out a few times, you know what I'm saying? Like you've been out on a few dates with Jesus, that is. I want you to get with me tonight. Are you going to help me preach tonight? All right. You're ready now for what we're going to call tonight the DTR. The DTR, it was spring break of my freshman year in high school. What, that's I guess almost 12 years ago now. Jeez, I'm getting old. And down on spring break was this girl... She was a friend of another girl that I went to church with, and I was a freshman, and she was a senior, and for any of you that are unaware of high school and the whole dating aspect, that's not bad. And so naturally, I'm thinking as a freshman, this this is good. There is a... A senior is interested, I'm 15, 14, I don't know how old I was, but she's 18. Y'all, are, y'all act like y'all never been there, come on! Jeez. So as a male, I'm like, yes! This is good, thank you Jesus. I'm sure I went spiritual, I don't know. But she was down all of spring break and... My parents were nice enough, they trusted me enough, thank you Jesus, to allow us to hang out, and we were hanging out, and things began in that week to take a a positive turn, so to speak. We were holding hands and whatnot. Remember those days, guys, when you held your girlfriend or your wife's hand, remember that? And I can't tell you the hugging and the kissing that went on, that would just be inappropriate for church. So I'm going to leave that part out. But it came time for Kristen Hammett to go home. My, my. I was not happy. Because we had kindled this relationship, and so now, like, I don't really know where things are. You know what I'm saying? You've been there. Y'all never dated? What? So we're at this point where like we're enjoying hanging out and things are good and you know the whole hand holding going to dinner. I probably didn't buy her a meal because I didn't have any money then, but you, we were at that point where she's about to leave to go back home and we have to have a talk, you know? You, you got to get face to face and figure out what's going to happen from here. And being the mature 15-year-old that I was, 
I'll never forget it, a moment of humiliation for me. We're standing in the driveway of this house where she was staying with her cousin. And I mean, you're just stalling and you're delaying. You know, you, you don't, you know how this goes. And so I'm buying all kinds of time. I don't even, we're talking about the stupidest things that you can think of. You just don't want to separate. And so it comes time for Brad to work the courage up. To have the talk. All right, we've had a good, good week here. What happens next? That's what was supposed to come out. And so here's what I do. In a moment of sheer, sheer just scared to death. She was excited. I'm telling you, she was ready for it. I was ready for it. But I didn't know what to say. So here's what I say. Mind you, we've spent all week together. We've talked a lot. You know, that's all you do. You just sit around and you talk. So it's like, what? I, I knew everything about her in a week. And the only thing I could come up with in this moment, I look at her and I bat my eyes. I'm like, hey. And here's what I say. In a moment of, hey, like, will you be my girlfriend? You know, that's how we rolled back in the day. You're supposed to do that. I, I, I say... So, you're from Abilene, huh? And she looks at me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from Abilene. And needless to say, this mature 18-year-old girl caught on to the fact that I had no clue what I was doing. I had faked my way through it this far and... The DTR talk never happened. It just actually kind of, um, we skipped the DTR and she realized, nah, we're, we're going to go ahead and define the relationship right now. And you and I, I'm sorry, Brad, but um, from this moment on, you're just not mature enough for me. And I lived with it. I survived. And, and God blessed me with a beautiful wife and two little babies. Come on. But there's a moment in every relationship. Listen, there's a moment in every relationship where it comes down and the time has come when you have to get face to face with the other person in the relationship and you have to figure out where you are. You have got to define the relationship. You've got to know where you stand if you're going to have a successful relationship with somebody. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Okay, it doesn't have to be when you're just starting to date. Maybe you've been dating for two years and maybe you've realized, ah, maybe this just, I'm not sure this is. You still have to have the courage to walk up to that person and have that defining conversation to determine where you are. Every relationship, every positive relationship must contain a DTR. Define the relationship moment. D-T-R. Those moments where you're ready to say it, but you're so scared because you just don't know what they're going to say back. You're, you're hoping for a positive answer. You're hoping for a return on this love, but you're just unsure, and so it is today. 
with our relationship with Jesus. There comes a point in your relationship with Jesus when you have to have the courage to take an introspective look. Where do I stand with you, Lord? How how is this thing that we've been doing maybe for 10 years or 5 years or 2 weeks, you've got to step back and take an introspective look at how things have been going to determine how the future is going to be and and how successful this relationship is going to be going forward. Jesus extends to us this invitation very clearly in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 And it reads like this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And I think many of us in the room tonight would welcome the DTR because you are ready to move to a different level in your relationship with Jesus. You're, you're ready to move to a deeper commitment with Jesus Christ. You're ready to move past the casual and past the convenient into something more devoted, something a little more serious, something more committed. You are ready for the DTR. You're excited about the conversation. You're excited about what's going to transpire. And then there's some of us who really enjoy the setup that we've got going on right now with Jesus. He's a nice guy. I mean, you like church. You like coming to church. It, it gives you something to do on Wednesday nights. It's, it's actually very nice that, that next week we're going to be giving away free food and free stuff for all of your kids. It's going to be incredible. We, we like the setup that we've got going with Jesus. It's kind of easy and it's kind of convenient. We get, but maybe we don't, we don't have to expend a whole lot of energy. It's, it's pretty nice, this little relationship that I've got going with, with Jesus. You like what you've got going. And the idea of being more committed, the idea of taking it to another level, you begin to squirm in your seat. How? Well, Brad, I mean, I like Jesus, Sure. But I like him on my terms. Defining the relationship. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? And I want to ask it to you in this way. Are you a fan? Or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Perhaps you're wondering, well, Brad, why would you ask a question like that? Because we're all followers of Jesus, aren't we? I mean, yeah. Just hear me out tonight. It's easy, you see, that if we're not careful, we know. We know what it means to be a fan. We cheer for the Dallas Cowboys when they pull off a big win and Tony Romo throws that touchdown and we throw a shoe at the TV. <laughs> maybe it's not a shoe, maybe it's your Coke can, I don't know, but you do throw something at the TV. We cheer for our favorite teams when things go right. We know what it means to be a fan of sports. 
And it's easy if we're not careful for the church to become a stadium full of fans of Jesus. Hear me. Jesus never, Jesus never cared about having fans. He was never, it didn't wait, keep him awake at night. Do I have people that are fanatics and crazy about me that, that are just fans? It doesn't matter really to Jesus. If you define a fan as, a, as an enthusiastic admirer, then fans were not important to Jesus. It's easy for you and I, for the church to gather once or twice a week and simply be fans of Jesus. We sit down in our seats, we applaud at certain times, and we leave somehow thinking as fans it was all done for us. We get in the car and we evaluate the sermon. Listen, uh, I'm with you on this one. I'm preaching to me as well. And we, we kind of give the service and the song selection thumbs up or thumbs down. And we come back and we do it again next week. And the next week. And the next week. And I get the fact, listen, I get the fact that some of us are huge fans. I mean, you are really into this. You know all the words before they're flashed up on the screen. You're like, whoa, hurry up, change the slide. Yeah! <laughs> when they ask you to open your Bible, you're like, da, 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 store drill time. Yeah, I still got it, baby. Ha, ha, I beat you. <laughs> We're huge fans of Jesus, and being a fan sometimes feels really, really good. We can feel pretty good about ourselves because we're these great admirers of Christ, but Jesus never cared about having fans. And so if we'll be honest with ourselves for our remaining time together tonight, I think that if we'll search our hearts, I want to bring to you three questions that I think will help us evaluate and determine our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first is this. Why are you here? Why are you here? If you read through the Gospels, Jesus at different points at his ministry would draw a line in the sand and he would separate the fans from the followers. One such instance is in John chapter 6 and Jesus is in the height of his ministry and we read that large crowds, you're familiar with the story, were following Jesus. And he was very popular at this time. And he was working miracles. He was providing food from just five loaves and two fishes. And there were a lot of people in the crowd following Jesus around. But Jesus, in verse 2, realizes why they were coming. And verse 2 says it this way, that they were coming simply because of the miracles. The main reason that the crowds were showing up was because of the spectacle that was taking place. Because of the big event, because of the, the mayhem that was taking place around Jesus. They didn't care very much about the teaching, about the life-changing lessons that were going forth. They cared about the show that was going on all around Jesus. And so I ask you tonight, why are you here why is it that you wake up and you, you come on Sunday mornings and, and you come after work on Wednesdays? You rush to get here many times to make it before church starts. Why are you here? 
Is it because you like the events? Is it because the seats that you sit in are comfortable? Is it because you like the music? Is it because you like the social aspect of it and the relationships that you've gained? Is that why you're here? That's great for a while and it's sustainable for for a moment, but at some point there has to be a define the relationship moment between you and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Why are you here? And in this passage, Jesus challenges fans to actually go deeper, to have a more intimate relationship with Him. And in verse 66, if you scroll down on your iPads, here's what we read. After he challenges them to go deeper. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. A lot of them went home because Jesus says, okay, okay, I love you, but there's a moment now when we have to define the relationship. We've got to define what we've got here and what he offered wasn't really what they wanted. Maybe you've come for a while. Maybe you've been around church for a while. Let me talk to you for a minute. And you understand that you you understand things and and you're coming you're coming to church more for the miracles. You're coming to church for the show. You're coming to church for the lights, you're coming to church for a choir, you're, you're coming to church for a worship band. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to put your trust in him. He wants you to trust your family with him. He wants you to trust your job. He wants you to put your worries that keep you up every night, that keep you from sleeping. He wants to take those from you and give you peace. He wants a relationship with you. With you. And with you. And with you. And with me, I hope. (laughs) Why are you here? Because. What is your because? For Jesus, his because is that he wants to know you. He wants to care for you. He wants to give you joy that you've been looking for, but you've just had such a difficult time finding it. His because is because he wants to know you. And the second question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Are you all in? Being a follower of Jesus requires complete commitment. A follower of Jesus will do whatever it takes to actually follow Jesus. They are loyal and they're completely committed on the whole. And and let me speak more to my generation. 
We don't do too well with absolute commitment. It's tough for us. I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to customize this Christianity thing to my liking. I'm going to kind of pick and choose the areas in which I will actually follow him. And so you say, I will follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive the person that hurt me. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going to let go of that resentment. I'm not going to let go of the bitterness that I hold from my childhood. I deserve that. I can have that. that. That's mine. I deserve. I've worked hard for this. I'll follow Jesus, but don't talk to me about money and supporting the kingdom of God. I'll follow Jesus, but don't tell me to abstain from certain sexual desires because that's what I want to do. I'll follow you, Jesus. But on my terms, I'm going to customize this thing called the Bible and Christianity to make it fit the way that I want it to fit the thing that makes it work for me. I'm a follower of Jesus, but that's not going to stop me from getting what I want. And so it's this customized Christianity that says, yeah, I'll follow. But only in the areas that I'm comfortable with. Only in the areas that I agree with. I'm a Christian, but I'm not all in. My friends, if that's you, you're a fan, not a follower of Jesus. There's not an option of selective commitment when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. It's not a possibility. There's no bargaining. There's no bartering. There's no finagling. When you decide to become a Christian and a follower of Christ, it requires you and I to go all in, to give everything that we have for the cause of Jesus Christ, every aspect of our life, the areas that we want to hold on to, it requires that we give up control to follow Jesus. Defining the relationship that you have with Jesus is what we're talking about tonight. So in defining our relationship, we've talked and we've asked the question, why are you here? We, we've asked, are you all in? And so third, and, and finally, we'll wrap up with this. I'm going to hit this for a moment. What do you do with a phrase like, take up your cross? What do you do with a phrase like, take up your cross? In Luke 9.23, we've read it. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what, what do comfort-craving fans do with something like the cross of Jesus Christ? It's pretty hard to avoid the cross, isn't it, when you're a Christian, huh? It's tough. It's kind of what, yeah, what we're hinged on here. What do you do with the phrase like, take up your cross? 
What I've found in my few short years on earth is that fans eventually find a way to make even the cross comfortable. We create a comfortable idea of the cross and what it means for us today to take up our crosses. So the phrase, we all have our crosses to bear, gets thrown around to even the most menial tasks. And the cross gets pushed to the back of our sermons and the back of our Bible studies, only making its annual appearance at Easter. And even though it's on our churches and on our t-shirts and around our necks, we end up with a comfortable cross. But what are we supposed to do, Brad? Uh, What are we supposed to do with the cross? The cross is a tough sell, man. How am I supposed to handle that? It's bad enough that Jesus had to die on a cross, but why did he have to go so far to say that we all had to pick up our cross? Why why do we all have to end up with our own crosses? Isn't that kind of ruining Christianity's hope for like a decent public relations thingy? I mean, come on, seriously, doesn't the cross hinder our ability to recruit new people? Isn't it too dark and isn't it too bad of a situation that people won't want to join this thing called Christianity? Doesn't it kind of, oh, it's dark, Brad, the cross. Did did you see all the blood? Did Did you hear about what happened? Did you read the pages? You're supposed to put your best foot forward, right? I mean, you, you want to look good so that people will come to church and don't we want more people to come to Jesus? That's supposed to be the point, isn't it? Amen. Having more people come to Jesus. So watch, what, what we do, we try our best to make Christianity sound as appealing as possible. But what have we sacrificed in return? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about how the world sees the cross. And in verse 18, he writes this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For those living in the first century, the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. For many then and now, the message of the gospel That God came to earth, clothed himself in flesh in the form of a man, was crucified, is complete foolishness. Why would God use a symbol of torture, a symbol of death, of weakness, to save the world? I suppose the idea of the cross seems more appealing to us because it's no longer used to execute people and we've dressed it up. We're used to seeing the cross as an ornament or a decoration piece or maybe on a piece of jewelry. But if a first century Jew came in and saw the illuminated crosses that we have hanging all over the place from walls to churches, they would think that we were sick human beings. Go with me here. Imagine people walking around with a guillotine around their neck. Imagine people walking around with electric chairs dangling from their ears. 
Imagine that for just a moment. For the Jews, the cross meant ultimate weakness. And I think that that's exactly God's point, and that's what makes the cross so incredibly beautiful that God takes what from a human perspective is foolish. He chooses what has no glory in something that has no honor. He finds the least likely symbol for love and life and he says, that's exactly what I'm going to use to save the world. I'm going to hang on that and I'm going to save you. With something that represents weakness. That's what I'm going to use. God takes what the world says is foolish and demeaning and shameful. And he turns it into the power of salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that he turns the foolishness of the cross into the power of salvation. And scroll down a little bit. Verse 22 says this. The Jews demanded Miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Let me ask you tonight, who else but God could take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who else but God could take a cross that represented guilt? And turn it into a symbol for grace. Who else but God could take a cross. That represented condemnation. And turn it into a symbol of freedom. Who else but God could take a cross. That represented pain and suffering. And turn it into a symbol of healing. And a symbol of hope. Who else but God. Who else but God could take something that represented death. Turn it into a symbol of life. No one else but God. No one else but God. I'm done. Would you stand with me? I'm sorry. Come on, stand with me. All over the house. We got to quit. What seems like the ultimate moment of God's weakness was in reality the ultimate moment of his strength. And here's why this matters, and this, here's why you've got to grab a hold of this tonight. And if you remember anything, you've got to grab a hold of this. Do not forget this. What God did for the cross, He wants to do for you. And He wants to do for me. That's why when you're at your weakest, you are right where you need to be for God's strength to be on display. The upside down truth of the cross is that when you are weak, you are actually strong. Verse 27 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
It's not that God used the cross in spite of its weakness. It's because God used the cross because of its weakness. Paul says that God chooses weak things and throughout scriptures. Perhaps you've heard these before, but, but just humor me for a moment and let me run down this, this list with you. Of choosing the weak over the strong. Here's a few examples. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was humiliated. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had multiple failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. If you search the Bible, you'll see that God uses a whole lot of imperfect people to do extraordinary things in the kingdom. So what are you saying, Brad? Here's what I want to tell you. What he did for the cross, he will do for you. It's when we let go of our need for comfort and we we let go of our need to be in control or our need to glory in our strengths and accomplishments, our need for approval from others, whatever it is that keeps you from abandoning fanaticism and moving into being a true follower of Jesus. It's then, it's in that moment that He does in our hearts what He did for the cross and He takes followers who are hanging by a thread and bolsters their spirits. It's in that moment that He takes followers who are at their weakest moment and He uses it for enormous good in his kingdom it's in that moment when you relinquish control of whatever it is that's keeping you in the fan realm it's in that moment that he takes followers who are all but defeated and he turns their testimonies into life giving messages of truth and hope why are you here Are you all in tonight? And what do you do with the phrase, take up your cross and follow Jesus? Maybe you're here tonight. Randy, by the way, let me compliment you, sir, going in to the song that you did that wasn't on the schedule, wasn't on the list. You had no clue what I was preaching tonight, but it goes so beautifully, man, with what we're talking about. That's nothing but the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never had that moment with Jesus. 
Maybe you're at the beginning relationships, the beginning stages of the relationship, and it's kind of awkward for you. You're still trying to feel your way around in this relationship with Jesus. You've held hands with him a time or two. Maybe you've kind of embraced him in a moment. I give you the opportunity in just a moment to take it, take some time and define your relationship. Maybe, maybe you've been coming to church for thirty years and you're bored. You're not as passionate as you used to be. The, the love that you know is still there, you really don't do anything to kindle it anymore. You don't really go out on dates anymore. It's, nah, well, he loves me. I love him. He knows it. I told him when we got married, do you need it again? That sort of thing. I want to encourage you to take a moment and talk to Jesus. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if you need peace tonight. I don't know if you need joy tonight, but he's here to give you whatever it is that you'll ask him tonight. Do you believe that? As Randy continues to play, come on, I want you to stretch your hands heavenward for those of you that need to take a moment. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.